Hello, everyone. This is Victor Jackson. Welcome to the Bible Centered Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Bible Centered with Victor Jackson. We have been having amazing time uh, going through the Word of God and um, verse by verse. And I want to thank all of our subscribers on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, we've got some great things that we're working on, and uh, we pray that it's going to be a blessing for you. Um, God has been doing some amazing, amazing things um, in our podcasts, uh, in the videos, uh, just millions of views, many listeners, and uh, I want to thank each and every one of you for that. Excited to uh, get uh, more in depth into Matthew chapter 15, and um, let's, let's get into this, Matthew chapter 15 and verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. And Jesus departed thence and came nigh into the Sea of Galilee, and went up into a mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others cast them down and cast them down at the Jesus' feet, and he healed them. And so much that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and the glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. And his disciples say unto him, Whence should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? And Jesus saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven and a few little fishes. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and the fishes and gave thanks and brake them and gave to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up the broken meat that was left seven baskets full. And they did eat were 4,000 men beside women and children. And he sent away the multitude and took ship and came into the coast of Magdala. <coughs> Matthew's theme is fulfillment and he is showing how jesus fulfills the law and the prophets and he's showing that jesus is a savior the savior to the jews and also to the gentiles and he shows how the chosen people of god the jews are um, taking for granted Jesus' presence because sometimes closeness, uh, close proximity breeds blindness. But while that's happening, those that are distant, the Gentiles, you, we see their hunger to press into the kingdom of God. And what, what, what I love about this is that in verse 21, it says that after leaving Jewish territory and feeding 5,000 Jews with loaves and fishes, then now he comes into Gentile territory. The Bible says that he came 
and to the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Now, it is interesting that he would come into Tyre and Sidon because Tyre and Sidon was a place of uh, incredible inventions and uh, ingenuity. Uh, but it was a place that the prophets prophesied would be judged. Um, Tyre and Sidon was a place that God himself prophesied uh, that judgment was coming. Uh, he said, woe unto you, Chorazin, for because if the works that were done in you were done in Tyre and Sidon, uh, they would have repented a long time ago. But he said it's more tolerable in the day of judgment for them than it is for you. So God, Jesus himself, prophesied that judgment was coming to Tyre and Sidon. The prophets prophesied that judgment was coming, um, particularly because, you know, Jezebel was from Tyre and Sidon. This was her upbringing. Jezebel, who caused so much caused so much pain to the children of Israel, caused so much pain to the prophets of God and the false worship and the false idols, uh, caused the whole nation to backslide. She was from Tyre and Sidon. Her father used to be the king of Sidon, and judgment was prophesied uh, that judgment was coming uh, to Tyre and Sidon. Now, to be honest with you, uh, judgment came in many different forms because Alexander the Great, uh, Tyr used to be off from the coast. It used to be an island. But Alexander the Great, in order to uh, destroy it, launching his campaign, having an impact into Persia, Alexander the Great, he built a causeway uh, into the city of Tyre. It used to be an island. Uh, they were surrounded, protected by the water. Uh, Alexander the Great wasn't really known for his naval military. He was known for an on-ground infantry. But Alexander the Great, he built a causeway uh, through the water that surrounded Tyre and Sidon and they conquered that city and that causeway that they made from the land to the tower, from the land to the island, it eventually got sand on it over the years and literally him conquering that city, that city is no longer an island, but now it's actually a part of the land because of what Alexander did thousands of years ago. But he literally decimated everyone in that city. So there were different types of uh, judgment that came to Tyre and Sidon. But it's amazing that Jesus would actually come here, that he would come into a place of judgment, a place that, that, of, that everyone prophesied judgment was coming, but he had no business coming into this place of judgment. But it's amazing that God likes getting glory in places that we don't expect him to get glory in. He'll get glory, you know, uh, picking up, having Samson pick up uh, a broken jawbone, and he'll get victory out of it. He gets glory out of making man out of dirt. He gets glory out of making a valley of dry bones into an army. He likes getting glory in places that we don't understand and in places that uh, no man can take the credit. He likes getting glory. No one expects him to move in Tyre and Sidon. No, ex no one expects God uh, to get glory out of a place of judgment, but he likes doing things just to make us scratch our head, just to make us understand that we, only he is God and no one else is God. Verse 22, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, have mercy on me, O God, uh, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. So this woman of Canaan who comes out of these coasts, she understands that she is destined for judgment. She knows that she has no standing before God. 
She knows that she deserves judgment, yet she sums up the courage and says, have mercy on me. Mercy is when God withholds judgment. She knows that she deserves judgment, but in her in mercy, mercy is when God withholds judgment. So it's when God withholds what you deserve. So she knows she deserves judgment, and but she petitions him by saying, thou son of David. Now, the son of David is a messianic term. It is a messianic title. It is a title pleading for the mercy of God. And so she goes, I want to, I want to pull on your on your assignment. I'm not just calling you Lord, but I'm calling on you in your assignment. You didn't come just for the Jews, you came for the Gentiles. Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Listen, she understood she had no standing with God because of her background, because of her mistakes, because of what she came out of. She had no right to be in his presence. And she was the type of person that would come into the presence of God and not feel worthy to lift up her hands and not feel worthy to shout or not feel worthy to pray, not because they don't love God, but because they look at themselves and they see I'm from Tyr and Sidon. I'm from a place of judgment. I have no business being in your presence. She was the type of person that, that didn't feel worthy to be in God's presence. But time and time again, she, she, this is the type of person that comes into God's presence but feels so unworthy they never have the boldness to cry out to God for themselves. And she wouldn't have had the courage to cry out for mercy until she saw her daughter grievously vexed with the devil. And when she saw her daughter dealing with depression the same way that she dealt with depression, when she saw her daughter dealing with anxiety the same way that she used to deal with anxiety, when she saw her daughter dealing with fear and torment of the devil the same way that she used to, she said within herself, you know what, I may not have courage to go to God for me, but I will do whatever it takes to go to God for my family. And she said, no matter how unworthy I feel, I'm going to cry out to God and he's going to have to hear me. Some of us, we sum up the courage to go to God, not for ourselves, but when we see the devil messes with things that are precious, things that are innocent, that's when we sum up the courage to go to God. <coughs> the Bible says she sums up this courage to go to God, pulls on his messianic identity as the son of David. Verse 23, but the Bible says he answered her not a word. He answered her not a word. Think about this. She sums up the courage, comes from judgment. No, she doesn't deserve to be in God's presence. And she cries out with everything in her. And her after her cry, there's only silence. Have you ever been there where you cried out to God because you needed an answer and you only got back silence? And when you encounter silence, you say, what's wrong with me? Well, am I so bad that God doesn't want to talk to me? But God's silence is not a sign that he's done with you. His silence is a sign that he's just getting started. His silence is not a sign that he's, that he's disappointed in you. His silence is a, uh, an invitation to see how desperate you are for a miracle. The Bible says that when Jesus first started his ministry, this, the voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. At the peak of his ministry, on the Mount of Transfiguration, the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But on the cross, there was no voice. There was just silence. God's voice is silent, and you feel forsaken right before the greatest miracles right before the resurrection. God's greatest miracles are always preceded by a season of silence. And so silence is not about what's wrong with you. It's about God preparing you and getting you in position to receive a mighty miracle from the Lord. He answered her not a word. 
And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. Look at the arrogance in the disciples. The disciples are still blinded to the Gentiles receiving the bread of life. He said, they said, she crieth after us. That has to be some arrogance, right? He said, send, they said, send her away for she's crying after us. They weren't crying after, she wasn't crying after them. She was crying after him. And so she understood your rejection of me cannot stop me from getting into his presence. Verse 24, but he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She cries, he doesn't answer. There's silence. The disciples reject her. And then he says, it's not even your time yet. He says, listen, I came to the Jews first. It's not even, it's not even your time yet. I'm going to come to you later. Then came she and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. She said, listen, if crying doesn't work, I'm about to convert my cry into worship. And if crying doesn't get your attention, then I know that worship is going to get your attention. <clears throat> she upped it a level. But he answered and said, it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. He said, it's not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. He, he called her a dog. Now, if, God, if Jesus called you a dog, y'all just saying, you know what, I'm... I ain't never coming back, Lord. It's over. But verse 27, she has the audacity to say truth, Lord. She says, listen, I, I am a dog. She said, yet the dogs eat the crumbs which call, fall from the master's table. She says, I am a dog. Who agrees with that? Come on now. Have some dignity. She says, I am a dog. And I want to thank, thank you all for praying for me. I'm still... <clears throat> I'm still sick. I'm still recovering. I'm getting a little better uh, daily. If you see me squinting every now and again, it's because my eyes are swollen. And uh, <coughs> but hey, praise God, we're still we're still doing the podcast. The word of God is still getting out there. She says, "Truth, Lord." Yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. She agrees with them. She goes, "Yes, I'm a dog." And this is what I like to call the power of acknowledgement. She said, listen, I, am, I acknowledge that I'm a dog, but at the same time, I acknowledge that you're the lamb. I acknowledge that I'm not enough, and at the same time, I acknowledge that you're more than enough. I acknowledge my dog nature, but I also acknowledge the lamb's nature. And I need the lamb's nature to overcome my dog nature. You're still able to do a miracle in me. She addressed her issue she addressed that she was that she was that she was was nothing and she didn't deserve anything but crumbs but she says that even the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table and jesus answered and said unto her O woman great is thy faith be it unto thee even as thou wilt and her daughter was made whole from that very hour he says, listen, that's what I call great faith. When you acknowledge everything that's wrong with you and still acknowledge everything that's right with me, I call that great faith. When you acknowledge all of your mistakes and your errors, but you also acknowledge your faith in my presence and who I am, uh, that is what I call great faith. That I acknowledge I'm not enough, but at the same time, I acknowledge that you're more than enough. And my miracle isn't based on me and my performance, but my miracle is based on you and your presence. That's what Jesus calls great faith. Having the audacity to come into his presence after all of your issues, all of your mistakes, all of your shortcomings. To have the audacity to say, I still believe. To have the audacity, it's Abraham having the audacity after he just had Ishmael. He's carrying his mistakes, still lifting up his hand, believing for Isaac. That's what God calls great faith. You have no business walking around with Ishmael in your hand, your mistake, still confessing and believing for Isaac. God calls that great faith. Someone that is not allowing themselves to be defined by the mistakes that they're carrying 
but they are defining themselves by their pursuit of God and his holiness because the miracle isn't based on us. It's based on him. And I'm trusting the lamb's nature to overcome my dog nature. And so he says, it's not me to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. Remember, he just gave the children of Israel the bread of life. He just distributed the bread. She's asking for a crumb. And we see in the next verse that he does the miracle, verse 29, and Jesus departed thence and came nigh into the Sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. And so much that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, they glorified the God of Israel. Now, he's in Gentile territory, and he is healing the Gentiles in the same way that he was healing the Jews. Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. Now he's having compassion for the Gentiles the same way he had compassion for the Jews. And his disciples said unto him, When should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? And Jesus saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven, and a few little fishes. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and fishes and gave thanks and break and gave to the disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets full. And they did eat were 4,000 men beside women and children. Now, look at the type and shadow. You heard me speak on this when I talked about the crumbs of Christ. That look at the bridge. Look at how this story, this is why going verse by verse is so important. This, this story of this woman is in between Jesus feeding the Jews, 5,000 Jews, and them taking up 12 baskets full. And now he's feeding 4,000 Gentiles and they take up seven baskets full. And he has the disciples distribute the bread to the Jews and the Gentiles. This is a type and shadow with the Jews. They take up 12 baskets full, meaning that the disciples are first going to distribute the bread of life, Jesus Christ, to the Gentiles, to the to the um, Jews, to the 12 tribes of Israel. That's 12 baskets full. Now they come into Gentile territory and he has the them to distribute the bread into the Gentile territory where they take up seven baskets full. That is the seven continents of the world. And so he's saying that the bread is going to be distributed first to the 12 tribes of Israel and then is going to be distributed to the uttermost parts of the world. Are you getting what I'm saying here? It's going to be distributed to everyone. But what's interesting about it is that the woman asked for a crumb, but she gets a loaf. She gets the same loaves that the Jews get. The Gentiles do not get a diluted version of the bread. The Gentiles get the same bread that the Jews got, that there is not an inferior version of Jesus that Gentiles get, that they get the same power, the same substance that was given to the Jews Jesus distributes it to the Gentiles. Matthew is showing us that in this fulfillment, ah, that that when God spoke to Abraham, he said that you're going to be a blessing to the nations. And what Jesus is, is that he is a blessing, not just to the Jewish people, but a blessing to the world. And we don't get an inferior version of Jesus. We get the same Jesus that they got in the Bible. We get the same Jesus that they got in the word of God. The same Jesus that was healing in the New Testament, we get. The same Jesus that was ministering to the Jews, feeding the 5,000, we get. We don't get crumbs. We get the whole loaf. And if for reference point, you can go to my message, the crumbs of Christ. But this woman feels so unworthy. She asked for a crumb 
but he gives her the bread just like he gave the children. Isn't that incredible? She'd be satisfied with just the crumb, but he said, no, I'm giving you the whole bread. I'm giving you the whole loaf. I will not give you an inferior version of me. I will not give you less of me. I give you all of me. And if, and if I'm expecting you to give yourselves all to me, how much more would I give all of myself to you? Can I tell someone listening right now that there are unsearchable riches in Christ, that we are not functioning on a diluted version of God. He, he still does miracles. He still opens the blinded eyes. He still unstops the deaf ears. He's still able to meet your need. He's still able to part the waters. But we've got to get the desire that this, that this Gentile woman had that says, you know what? I'm going to keep going after you. I'm going to cry. I'm going to worship and I'm going to be persistent. I'm going to ask, I'm going to seek, and I'm going to knock because you have something that can make a difference in my world. He doesn't give her crumbs. He gives her the whole loaf. He doesn't give the Gentiles crumbs. He gives them the whole loaf. And in the same way they took up 12 baskets full so they would later distribute the bread to the 12 tribes of Israel, the same way they take up seven baskets full, which they will distribute to the seven continents of the world, that, that this gospel shall be preached in all the world. The spread is going to be distributed. And the bread just keeps on being distributed, and it keeps growing, and it keeps helping, and it keeps ministering, and it keeps on uh, uh, edifying. And so Matthew is showing the Jews that in the same way that they were touched, in the same way that they were healed and transformed by Jesus Christ, that also belongs to the Gentiles. And they don't get an inferior version of Jesus. They get the same loaf. We, they, we get the same Jesus that's in the Bible is not something inferior. So if he healed before, he can heal again. If he, if he uh, uh, transformed before, he can transform again. And so we see that Matthew is very much setting a course for uh, Matthew 16, the next chapter in Simon Peter's Confession. And, and the introduction of the church, the introduction of the ecclesia. And, um, <coughs> and this ecclesia is, 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 is called out. It is a church comprised of Jews and Gentiles that are called out unto Jesus Christ, that are called out into his presence to be Christ-like. And we have the same loaf. She asked for... She asked for a crumb, but she got the children's bread. And we may feel unworthy where we only ask for a little bit. But he says, it's against my nature to give you crumbs. I can only give you the whole loaf. You get all of me. And I'm thankful for that. But Matthew is setting the tone for um, the introduction of ministry into the Gentiles. And this is beautiful. This is, this is, this is, this is special power of going verse by verse, because this Canaanite woman was the bridge into the Gentile territories. There is more of a Gentile emphasis after this woman's story. And it is so, remember, this, this woman is a woman of Canaan. Remember, in the Old Testament, they were commanded to destroy the Canaanites. Now God is showing mercy to them. I tell people, many times you can understand a lot about God by what he does. But I said, I would argue that sometimes you can see more about God by what he does not do. God does miracles to reveal who he is. And so he, he shows himself by what he does, but many times he also shows himself by what he does not do. Later he says that I can 
called down 12 legions of angels to come down and destroy everything. But I'm showing my power by what I'm holding back. And what I'm holding back, that's how you see my mercy. I hold, I hold back judgment to release mercy. And we see God's mercy all throughout this text because this woman deserves judgment and the Gentiles deserve judgment. But God withholds judgment to release his mercy, not only to the Jews, but to everyone. I remember whenever I was uh, in a car wreck, whenever I was 18 years old, I was going to my cousin's graduation in Eunice, Louisiana. Shout out, shout out to Kalisha. I was on my way to my cousin's graduation from Eunice High School. And while I was on the way there in my Mishibishi Gallant, uh, my burgundy Mishibishi Gallant, don't judge. I feel, I feel someone judging me listening right now. My mom made sure I was uh, staying humble in high school with my Mishibishi Gallant. But I was driving on the highway, and as I was driving on the highway, every now and again there's parallel parking on these highways when you go through the small highways through the cities there's parallel parking well i was driving i wasn't saved i was 18 years old i'm on my way to this graduation at Eunice high school and as i'm driving going about 50 60 miles per hour a car gets into my lane and it's heading towards me it's about to be a head-on collision it's amazing when you're about to go through a tragedy how time slows down. So I thought to myself, well, this car is about to hit me. I don't have time to press the brake. And if I press the brake, I may break my ankle. And there goes my college basketball career. Isn't that amazing? I thought about all of that in point zero 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 five seconds. And so I didn't have a seatbelt on. And this car, this van hit me head-on collision, bam, hit me with force. It knocked me out of my seat. My head hit the windshield. Blood went through all across the windshield. Um, it Cracks went through all, all across the windshield. It knocked me over into the passenger side. My car began to whirl in circles. And as it began to whirl in circles, there was a car... Uh, parked here and a car parked here and there was one single open spot in the middle my car did a 360 and landed perfectly in the open parking spot without touching either car I deserve to die but God said I'm not gonna let you die because you're gonna preach my gospel one day and he showed me mercy when I didn't deserve mercy. He said, you don't know it yet. You're, you're going to preach my gospel. And I know you deserve to die because you're living in sin. But I'm holding back judgment and releasing mercy. Because one day in November, you're going to be on a podcast helping millions of people with the word of God. So I'm holding back judgment to release mercy because from this mercy, you're going to be able to minister to millions of people. Isn't this amazing? It's the mercy of God. I deserve to die in that car wreck. I remember whenever I was a child and I was like nine years old. And I remember I was at a recreation camp. Shout out to Brown Park, Lafayette, Louisiana. I was at a recreation camp. That, it was that recreation camp at Brown Park. In Lafayette, Louisiana, right off of Moss Street. I used to live at 122 Rue Felicity. I still remember my old uh my old home telephone number, 337-231-1960. Right there in Lafayette, Louisiana. I remember going to Brown Park summer camp. <clears throat> Shout out to my mom. My mom I don't know how she did it. She would work an extra job in the summer and put all of us into summer camps. Now seeing how much those summer camps cost and everything, I'm like, wow, what a sacrifice. 
she would work at Burger King to get, just get a, some extra money to put us through the summer camps. What a woman. What a woman. And I remember being at the summer camp, there was a, um, there, they allowed us to go swim. And I remember going swimming and I went to the deep end and there was like a big, uh, a taller person, an older person than I was. And I got to the deep end and I got a little scared and nervous. And so I kind of grabbed on the guy's back, this random stranger's back. This was, I was like nine. <coughs> And, man, this guy threw me down in the water. And when he threw me down in the water, I was underwater. And it was almost like I was breathing underwater because I could see everybody. Time s s slowed down. And then all of a sudden, I woke up and I was, like, coughing on the side. I was drowning. I deserve to die. But God said, you're going to preach my gospel one day. I'm not going to let you die. There's too much work to be done. I'm releasing mercy on you. And mercy is when God withholds judgment. He could have gave me a crumb, but he gave me the whole loaf. He could have gave me a diluted version. But he gave me all of himself. I deserve to die. I remember at this same Brown Park, I was like nine years old. I guess nine years old nine years old was like a traumatic time for me. I don't know. Maybe maybe the devil was after me. I don't know. But I remember doing a backflip off of uh, this big slide. When I did a backflip off of it, I was a daredevil, y'all. I, I After this, I got a lot more cautious. But I did a backflip, and I hit my head on the pole on the way down. Blood was just just everywhere. And I had sandals. Blood was dripping on my sandals and stuff. And guys, I, it, was, it was just, I deserved to die. But in his mercy, he gave me another chance. I remember... I've told the story about how I was abused as a child and for the first 11 years of my life there was excessive abuse but <clears throat> my mom had I want to man this is just the day to sh shout out my uh my upbringing shout out to Highland Elementary my old principal Mr. Mooney shout out to you let me tell you Mr. Mr. Mooney it was one of those high schools where you got in trouble, they got the paddle. They all don't remember that, man. They had the wooden paddle. You got in trouble in school, they brought out the wooden paddle. They'd be like, you got to go to Mr. Mooney's office. He's got the paddle for you. And uh, they were, and you know, it was one of those paddles that had holes in it. You know, I, man, this was like, I don't know, this is like scary version stuff. Like, this is like, this is like tormenting crazy stuff you know but I remember I couldn't speak a word of English intelligibly for the first five years of my life and I had to my mom had to send me to a speech therapist for a year when I was in kindergarten at Highland Elementary I was in speech therapy for a year to teach me how to talk if you notice I was born and raised in Louisiana but I don't have a Louisiana accent um, my mom and my sisters have a strong Louisiana accent. My family has a Louisiana accent. I never got it, uh, because of this speech therapy, I believe. Um, I go to Louisiana. They're like, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from here. I remember growing up, they'd be like, why do you speak so proper? The history of my schools are Highland Elementary. Evangeline Elementary. Somebody's going to have to shout out if you know these places. Highland Elementary, Evangeline Elementary, Acadian Middle, Youngsville Middle, Como High School, Northside High School. That was my list of schools uh, that I attended. 
but I couldn't speak a word intelligibly until I was about five, five years old after being in speech therapy for a year because of the trauma that I was enduring at home, the trauma and the neglect. <clears throat> but they talk about how at three years old, I would be on my grandma's porch and in Eunice, Louisiana, and that I would pick up a stick off of the ground and I put the stick up to my mouth and I start swaying side to side, pretending like I was preaching. The only words they understood that I said was Jesus, 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 acting like I was preaching. I wasn't raised in church, but somehow God's mercy was seeking after me. Before he formed me in the belly, he knew me. And God was working on me before, before I ever even knew him. Remember later after that, after I was, um, growing, I always had a desire to know God. My family really didn't go to church. Um, but I would walk to church. I would ask who's going to church. God's mercy was working on me. And I'm a testament of his mercy. God has been merciful to me. Everything I have, I owe to him. And he washed me. He cleansed me. He helped me. He transformed me. And one day I'm going to get on the, tell you a little bit on, how things worked out and with my story, <coughs> how I was able to come to God and how strategic God was in saving me when he did. And God, God has been just so faithful to me, but I'm so thankful he didn't give me crumbs. He gave me the whole loaf that when I desired to go after him with everything in me, he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. He called me. And the same mercy that is at work in this woman and at work in the scriptures, it's at work in my life and it's at work in your life. Before he formed in the belly, he knew you. He knew you. He knew you. He knew you. And he ordained you. He has been extending his mercy, all the things you could have died from, but you're still here because of the mercy of God that's at work in your life. Um, the Mitsubishi Galant in that wreck, it was totaled. I had to go to the ambulance. Um, and then I wound up going to college without a vehicle because my Mitsubishi Galant was gone. Um, maybe it needed to be gone. Maybe its time was up. Maybe maybe mercy wasn't working in that. Uh, maybe maybe God was saving me from heartache, showing up to college with a burgundy Mitsubishi Galant. Maybe I would have been made fun of. Maybe maybe I wouldn't have accepted my ministry because of the embarrassment of a burgundy Mitsubishi Galant. So maybe his mercy was working and all that. He said, man, I've got to crash this thing before this guy embarrasses himself. Maybe I would be known as the Mitsubishi Gallant preacher. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Only God knows. Only God knows. Only God knows. Um, <clears throat> but God has been faithful. God has been so good. And... Um, Gave a lot of shout outs today. Brown Park Recreation Center. I don't know what it looks like now. Someone's going to have to send me an update. Lafayette, Louisiana. I used to live in the meadows and uh, right off of Moss Street. Anybody that's ever lived in the meadows, give me, a, give me a shout out. Lived off of Louisiana Avenue. One of my favorite uh, donut spots was called Meshes. <coughs> so good. Some great donuts to have before school. 
I am grateful for my life because God has been so merciful to me. I'm just, I'm in gratitude today. Just sharing my life with you. Man, God is so good. This book of Matthew just is so amazing. God's mercy has been working with me. Even my name, even my name, I mean, I have, my name is very, very interesting. I'm about to give you the background of my name. This is just, this is just confessional time, y'all. I'll give you my name. My, I have an older sister named Anastasia. I think that is one of the most beautiful names. I have a younger sister named Sigourney. Beautiful. My youngest sister name is Jean. They all have unique names. How in the world did I get the name Victor? Here's the story about my name, Victor. I'm about to tell you the powerful, merciful way I got my name. My mom was in labor with me. I, I just found this out, actually. She carried me in her womb for 42 weeks. Oh, my word. I was supposed to be born in February, but I was born March 11th. Isn't that incredible? Um, but God gave her the privilege to carry me for two extra weeks. Isn't that amazing? I'm just kidding, guys. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. 42 weeks she carried me, and I was born for like nine pounds and 12 ounces. I was a big baby. And when they asked her what's the child's name going to be, she was watching her favorite show called Young and the Restless, The Stories. And there was a popular millionaire on that on that show, that soap opera, and his name was Victor Newman. So she said, you know what? I'm going to name him Victor. My goodness, what a special way to get a name. And what's amazing is, is that it wasn't my biological father that was there at the birth. It was actually my stepdad. So my my biological father's last name is Willis. I'm supposed to be Victor. I'm about to give you my middle name. Please don't hold this over my head. Victor. Maybe I shouldn't give you my middle name. Maybe I should. Victor Murphy Willis. That's supposed to be my last name, Willis. But because my stepdad was there, my stepdad gave me his last name, Jackson. Victor Murphy Jackson. I don't know. Somehow, in God's grace, I think I think Jackson fits. Uh, I have a great relationship with my dad, uh, Don. Uh, I have a great relationship with my dad. God has been so merciful with that. <coughs> but Jackson just sounds good. I think Victor Jackson just kind of kind of fits. I think think kind of fits. Um but look at those interesting surroundings around around my birth. I mean I don't know. God's mercy was working. I was raised in Eunice. I remember one of my favorite things to do, I used to do backflips because I used to watch Ninja Turtles. I'd be doing backflips off of the tree. I do. I mean you know how those Ninja Turtles were training? They were like, huh, one, two, three. I would do the same thing off of a tree. And uh, and I remember having my uh, Ninja Turtle, Raphael, riding in my mom's car, Eunice, Louisiana, holding my Ninja Turtle out the window and just having him fly. And then a big wind came and it fell and I watched somebody roll over. My Raphael. Still miss that. Still miss that toy. Still miss that toy. Uh, but God's so good. God's so good. And I'm glad I got a chance to talk with you guys. 
on this podcast today. God has just been so merciful in my life. I'm just grateful. Man, I am just a grateful individual. Oh, my goodness. He gave me life. He gave me the uh, a day to worship. He gave me a day to, another day to serve him, another day to pray, another day to read his word. Thankful for the ability to read. Thankful for the ability to comprehend and understand. I am just grateful and thankful. Uh, all the people that God has sent in my life on the, on this journey, I am so grateful. I'm thankful to know the gospel. I'm thankful to preach the gospel. I'm thankful for all my friends and family. I'm thankful for everybody. I'm just a grateful individual when I think about the mercy of God. Mm. Whew. He kept me. He saved me. And all I deserved was a crumb. When I got saved, all I asked was for a crumb. But instead, he gave me the whole loaf. When I got saved, I was expecting a crumb, playing basketball, and a crumb of Jesus. Orange basketball and a crumb of Jesus. Yet, he gave me the whole loaf. He called me into the ministry. Ah, wow. Ooh, even when I felt unworthy, you know, from 19 years of living in the world, yet he called me. So I'm going, I, I go after him with the fresh pursuit every day. In that loaf, I found, found my wife. Wow. My wife, Louisa, who's been, been amazing. We celebrate 11 years marriage in two weeks, 11 years marriage and um, 11 years married. Um, and wow, what a, what a great experience that has been 11 years. Best years of my life has been with this amazing woman doing ministry as a team. In that, in that loaf was my son, seven years old, man, just doing amazing, second grade. This guy is just a joy. I love spending time with him. In that loaf was my daughter, Mia. She just potties and sleeps, looks at me with a strange look, trying to figure me out why am I still looking at her trying to figure out what my role is in her life because she doesn't understand I can't feed her. All I could do is just pat her on the back. Out of that loaf came a bunch of blessings that I don't deserve. Out of that loaf came uh, a church, us planning a church, Bible Center of Orlando, Central Biblical de Orlando. <coughs> I don't deserve it. Wow ministry I don't deserve. Thank God for his mercy. I'm here because of the grace and mercy of God, and I'm glad I get to share the word of God with you. Share this with somebody. I pray it's a blessing. I love and appreciate all of you. Uh, we'll talk again soon. Looking forward to tomorrow. God bless. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, for more information, you can follow my social media page, Victor M. Jackson, or you can come visit us in Orlando, Florida at Bible Center of Orlando. Thank you for joining us. God bless.